Sound Words. Christian Magazine. Volumes 31 to 40. Republished by Irving Rich, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Thoughts on the Offerings. The Law of the Meat Offering. In the pursuance of the wonderful theme of these richly expressive types, which are descriptive of him who is the glorious substance of these shadows. We are deeply conscious that without the sustaining power of the Spirit the heart would be overwhelmed with such a presentation of the excellencies and perfections of Christ. And nowhere is the truth of this more greatly emphasized than in the meat offering. In Leviticus chapter 1 we have what relates to the offering itself, but in the law we have the relation of the priests, Aaron and his sons, to the offering. Every child of God is a priest, and God would have all his children aware of the holiness which becomes his house at all times. And realizing the necessity for unrelaxed vigilance with respect to our comportment before men, lest we should allow anything inconsistent with priestly ways and behavior. As priests we should ever be marked with the holy concern consistent with handling the holy things of God. We come in Leviticus chapter 6 verse 14 to the law of the meat offering or oblation, which means gift offering, or food offering, which the sons of Aaron offered before the Lord. Before the altar, what an acceptable offering to bring to God. That which speaks of Christ as the food of his people. And how wonderful that we should be able to feed on him who is thus acceptable to God, Christ in all the perfections of his manhood, the one conceived by the Spirit. And the anointed man for God's pleasure in this world. In John chapter 6 verses 51 to 57 we feed upon Christ as the bread of God, the living bread. Under law the privilege of feeding on the sacrifices was sometimes restricted, but it is the privilege of all believers in Christ to feed upon the provision that God has made for us in Christ. We feed upon Christ not only for the maintenance of the life that God has given us, but also for its development. Let us consider some of the ways in which we may feed on Christ. When the feast of the Passover was instituted, God commanded the children of Israel to take a lamb and kill it and sprinkle its blood upon the doorposts. And the lintel of the houses in which they were to eat the flesh of the lamb, roast with fire, saying, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. They were to eat it with bitter herbs and with girded loins, with shoes on their feet and a staff in their hands. How touchingly this speaks of our own deliverance from a bondage greater far than that out of which the children of Israel were delivered, even from the bondage of sin. Awakened by the Spirit of God to a sense of our perilous position, and alarmed at the thought of impending judgment. How eagerly we fed upon the spotless lamb that had passed through the fire of God's holy judgment, born for us upon the tree. It was indeed with bitter herbs we ate the lamb, as we realized it was our sins that brought him to that solemn hour in which he was alone. The second time we read of Israel keeping the Passover was in the wilderness, and it is as pilgrims and strangers awaiting our absent, yet soon returning, Lord that we feed upon him. Again, in the land, Israel kept the Passover. Over the Jordan it was not only a memorial of deliverance, but of accomplished redemption. So with the believer now, we have a position corresponding to being, in the land, for not only have we been quickened together with Christ, but already raised up together. And made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Another character in which the Lord Jesus is presented as food for his people is as the manna. And the fulfillment of this type is seen in the passage to which we have already referred in John chapter 6. Manna was food for the wilderness, and presents to us Christ, a humbled Christ in this world. 
this singularly attractive type brings before us the matchless, heavenly grace which marked him in his lowly path of pleasure for his God and Father, exhibiting his obedience, meekness, gentleness, dependence, the love of righteousness, the hatred of lawlessness, and every other feature of perfection. All these traits of beauty came down from heaven in the wondrous person of the Son of Man who is in heaven, and were displayed in a life of lowly grace here upon earth, and now provided for us as food, the true manna. Another has said, for instance something may make me impatient during the day, well, then Christ is my patience, and thus he is the manner to sustain me in patience. He is the source of grace, not merely the example which I am to copy. A third character in which the Lord Jesus is food for our souls is as the old corn of the land, Joshua chapter 5 verse 11. In verses 10 to 12 of this chapter we have the three kinds of food mentioned of which we have spoken, the Passover, the manna and the old corn, or stored corn, of the land. The old corn speaks to us of the glorified Christ, he is the true food of the heavenly land that strengthens us for the conflict against principalities and authorities, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, who would contest our right to the possession of the inheritance God has given to us in Christ. Coming back to the law of the meat offering our attention is drawn to the portion of the priests. In feeding upon the meat offering we are not then contemplating what is found in the other offerings, atonement and acceptance. But are engaged pre-eminently with the perfections and matchless beauty of Christ in manhood that were so delightful to the Father. As occupied with Jesus in this way we enter in sweet communion into the enjoyment of the Father's thoughts concerning his Son, and under the Spirit's guidance the heart wells up and overflows in praise and worship. His deep perfections gladly sing and tell them forth to thee. In the presentation of the gift before Jehovah we have indicated the privilege of our coming before God to present Christ in his perfections. The heart delighting in the display in him of every feature of manhood before the Father's eye. A new kind of humanity has come in the person of Jesus, perfect in every detail, and suitable to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. No flaw of mortality lurked in his blessed person, and even in the grave his flesh saw no corruption. How touchingly the Father has expressed his unqualified delight in the man of his good pleasure. How fittingly therefore in the type before us that God has the first portion as the priest takes or heaves his handful of fine flour of the oblation and of the oil, and all the frankincense, for Jehovah. The remainder was for Aaron and his sons to eat. There was no feeding on the burnt offering, all went up to Jehovah on the altar. We can in varying measures appreciate what this offering means, but it is not ours to feed upon, it speaks of what Christ was to God his Father in the giving of himself upon the cross. But how wonderful that we can feed upon Christ as the true meat offering. It is as feeding upon him in this way that the moral sensibilities and characteristics which are descriptive of Christ are formed in us. It was to be eaten in a holy place, unleavened. In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation they shall eat it. Does not this indicate that it is only as we are withdrawn in spirit from the sphere of human thoughts and activities that we can feed on Christ? In the tabernacle the priest was surrounded with God's interests, and it is as engaged with what belongs to God that we feed on Christ. Feeding on the manna we receive the grace that enables us to meet all the trials and temptations of the wilderness. But the oblation is the suited provision to sustain those who stand in relation to the testimony of God in this world, and to strengthen us in the worship of God. Feeding on Christ as the oblation will give us spiritual vitality for our exercises in communion with the Lord. The oblation was to be unleavened. The insidious, fermenting motions of the flesh could not be tolerated by Jehovah. 
as most holy, it calls for a consistent walk in the Spirit, and for continual self-judgment, for true sanctification in occupation with Christ. Then we read, It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire, every one that toucheth them shall be holy, Leviticus chapter 5 verse 18. Feeding on Christ produces moral separation from the world and sin and the flesh. What then are we nourishing our affections on? Is it Christ or the worthless, enervating things of the world? In Lev. 5.20 another offering is mentioned, which was to be presented by the priest on the day of his anointing, it was not a voluntary offering, it was obligatory. Half was to be offered in the morning, the other half at night, indicating that the day was to commence and finish with thoughts of Christ. The normal oblation was either mingled with oil or anointed with oil, this offering was to be saturated with oil, a more intensive thought. As Mr. Darby has said, the Son of God in power, who, in the midst of sin walked by the Spirit in divine and absolute holiness, resurrection being the illustrious and victorious proof of who he was. Walking in this character. That is to say, resurrection is a public manifestation of that power by which he walked in absolute holiness during his life. Here it was no question of promise, but of power, of him who could enter into conflict with the death in which man lay, and overcome it completely. And that in connection with the holiness which bore testimony during his life to the power of that spirit by which he walked, and in which he guarded himself from being touched by sin, is this the blessed one with whom we begin the day? As the psalmist said, when I awake, I am still with thee. And can we, after the busy day is over? Present to God in all the freshness of sustained communion our appreciation of that wondrous person in correspondence with the measure in which we began the day. A day which begins and ends thus will be filled with the fragrance of that which is peculiarly for the Father's delight, for this offering, shall be wholly burned, it shall not be eaten, Leviticus chapter 5 verse 23. The bacon pieces of the meat offering, Lev. 521, might suggest that spiritual discernment by which every part and detail of Christ's wondrous life can be discovered by those who find him truly to be, all things and in all.